Hello, everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on, at, uh, on Twitter. You can also uh, email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Uh, please like, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this, whatever you have to do. It really helps us out, including if you can rate, review, whatever you want to do. Okay. But as the creators, it really helps us out. Um, so it finally happened. You can probably tell with my voice. I finally got the COVID that happened. Uh, happened a little, I don't know, like a week ago or something. And uh, I feel way better now. So that's good. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much over it. Uh, I'm, I'm still technically positive. Um, I got tested today, but uh, that shouldn't last too long. I get to go back to work Friday. I'm just working virtually now. And uh, yeah, so basically when I was sick, though, I was just taking the days off because I felt like complete and absolute shit. I felt terrible. And you know what I did? I did something that I very rarely do, okay? But I felt so bad, the only thing I wanted to use were my eyeballs, all right? I just wanted to lay somewhere and use my eyeballs. So instead of watching movies, I ended up watching a TV show with my wife who had gotten COVID uh, a few days before me. I think we got it at the same... I don't know if I got it the first day because uh, we kind of tracked back where we got it. And it was like the one event that we went to uh, where we didn't wear masks. Like, I don't remember going to another event where we didn't wear masks in the, like the last year or whatever or more. So it was just like, it was weird. It was just like, we went to this thing and then we leave and we find out a bunch of other people got sick there and then my wife was sick and now I'm sick. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, so, um, uh, but luckily we're all better uh, over here. We're getting a lot better. But during that time though, uh, you know, my wife was of course home. I had to be home because I wasn't feeling well. And uh, as we were recovering and trying to just like live through it, um, one of my wife's friends at work said, hey, you got to watch This Flag Means Death, the TV series. And it's just like a one season TV series with uh, a bunch of cool people. I'll talk about it here in a minute. And uh, that just like triggered this interest in me where there had been like TV series that people were like, dude, you got to check this out. It's only got one season or two seasons, you know, these like short things. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. So uh, <clears throat> I watched in the last week, uh, one, two, three, four, five full series, and I'm actually in the middle of one now. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the one I'm in the middle of now. I will say it's called Baskets. It's on Hulu. Um, and uh, it has uh, Zach Galifianakis. It's actually really good so far. I'm not even close to halfway through it, actually. I think I'm like two episodes in, but already it's like great. It reminds me of the uh, TV show Louie a little bit, which Louis C.K. Uh, did have like an executive producer role or something on Baskets. Um, but so maybe that's like part of it. I don't know if he's like a part of the writing and stuff. I haven't paid enough attention to that. Um, but it's very good uh, so far. I can't really talk about that, though, because I'm not far enough in. Now, the thing is, uh, I watched several shows, and uh, before I get to today's content where I'm going to talk, uh, I'm just going to give uh, some of my thoughts about The Northman. I was actually able to see The Northman. Uh, so uh, luckily, you know, we're good there. We'll have some movie content here shortly. Um, and this, I was actually going to cancel this week in terms of content. I wasn't even going to put an episode out because I felt like complete shit. 
Um, but I'm actually recording this Monday. And I was like, you know what? I have enough to talk about. I'll at least just do a solo show. I just can't handle the idea of not doing a show if I can help it. So uh, anyways, uh, we're, I'm going to talk about The Northman, Robert Eggers' The Northman, uh, here shortly. But I do want to talk about these TV shows real quick uh, during this intro here uh, before I jump into that movie. Um, and I doubt this episode will be as long as a normal episode, of course. I, I'm going to go with 35 minutes. That's what I'm going to say. That's probably It's probably going to be longer than that because I'm long-winded as fuck. But anyways, um, I'm basically, in, in, in order to kind of keep this at a reasonable uh, time for all of these shows and so that I don't ruin anything. Uh, my goal is to essentially set up the, these TV shows as I would a movie, you know, like I'll talk about the creators and the cast and stuff. I'll give a brief synopsis uh, and I stole most of these from IMDb. So to be essentially that and some of them I expanded on a bit. And then uh, I'm going to give you three reasons you know, kind of taking a, a page out of the Criterion Collection book where they make those three reasons videos. This will not be nearly as elegant. Uh, but um, I basically picked three reasons I love these shows because I could just kind of, some of these I could go on and on about and some of them I'm just kind of like, hey, just watch it. Uh, so I picked three from each and I'll just leave it at that. Again, I know this is a movie podcast, so I'm not going to spend too much time on these. I'm going to try not to. Uh, but these were fun. So I'm going to start with This Flag Means Death. I'll talk about them in the order I watch them. And this is a show, it's only one season, it's 10 episodes, 30-minute episodes. It was created by a guy named David Jenkins. The cast is Reese Darby, Joel Fry, Matthew Maurer, uh, Kristen Nairn, who played Hodor in Game of Thrones, uh, Ewan Brimner, who was in, like, Train Spotting, probably most notably. It's the dude that uh, shit the bed at his girlfriend's house um, and was on, like, Speed or whatever during an interview. Uh, you'll probably know who I'm talking about, but if you look this dude up, he's fucking awesome. I love Ewan Brimner. Uh, Vico Ortiz and, of course, Taika Waititi is in this, as well as many others who have small roles like Leslie Jones, Fred Armisen, and Will Arnett. Uh, this is streaming on HBO Max. Uh, super, super easy watch. It's um, basically the film or the TV show takes place in the year 1717, where a wealthy landowner, Steed Bonnet, has a midlife crisis and decides to blow up his cushy life to become a pirate. Uh, so he leaves his child and his wife, and he essentially has a ship made and gets a crew. Uh, it does not go well. Uh, based, it's apparently based on a true story, according to these synopses. But uh, Steed is known as the gentleman pirate because he lives within the swashbuckling world, uh, but he is more of a noble than a pirate. So uh, you can kind of see where a lot of the uh, comedy comes from, of course. <clears throat> but the first, the first uh, thing I want to bring up here is... Um, the relationship between the gentleman pirate and Blackbeard, okay? The, the famous pirate Blackbeard. So Reese Darby plays Steed, the gentleman pirate. And he is absolutely amazing. He is perfect uh, at depicting this sort of character. And of course, you would think that he would stand out like a sore thumb when he's put against someone like Blackbeard. But Blackbeard is played by Taika Waititi. So you should automatically understand now why that works. Uh, <laughs> uh <coughs> excuse me this is a silly show okay uh it's actually a lot of fun but part of the fun comes from these two characters relationships and i have to say especially by the end it is so endearing sometimes it hurts to watch their relationship uh so you should definitely check it out for that reason another reason is uh the premise of the show is really not unlike uh what we do in the shadows 
Taika Waititi's amazing mockumentary from 2014, uh, the movie and the spinoff TV show that you can watch uh, is is based on the idea that, you know, of what if centuries-old vampires lived in the modern world? What would that look like? And then, what would it be like if they were also roommates? <laughs> okay, so we follow these vampires that are roommates, and they argue about, you know, uh, what... Um, uh, chores that each of them are going to do and uh, who's leaving the the uh, the uh, dirty dishes in the sink. You know, you have those kind of like silly roommate things, but, it, you know, it's centuries old vampires. So, of course, you know, that's where the comedy comes from. But it, it really comes from the idea that vampires are living in this world. Like these people that are like Victorian vampires or whatever, you know, like these kind of in some cases ancient vampires are somehow functioning in this world. And that is kind of where the the heart of the comedy comes from in what we do in the shadows. But, you know, Steed in uh, Our Flag Means Death does not belong in the swashbuckling world. And like the vampires in what we do in the shadows, Steed is the butt of a lot of these jokes. So um, I just had such a great time watching the story unfold. My wife and I both had a good time. And, uh, you know, it's probably one of the easiest shows to binge because there are only 10 episodes. They're 30 minutes apiece. Very simple. I have to say my final reason to watch this is by the end, the show plays an emotional chord that I was not expecting. And this is a comedy show through and through. I mean, it is just a funny show. Uh, across the board. And if you're a fan of that type of uh, YTT humor, you know, if you've seen uh, Hunt for the Wild People or uh, Jojo Rabbit, or uh, you know, he also did Thor Ragnarok, which is also like an MCU movie. Um, it's not quite as concentrated YTT, but still, you know, if you're a fan of those things, the same guy is kind of involved in this. Um, but uh, though this is a comedy show, man, I did not expect a show about pirates that are bad at their jobs to end up being so touching. So there is a heart to this as well. It's not just a bunch of haha humor. Um, it's actually pretty good. Uh, again, this is uh, this flag means death. It's streaming on HBO Max. Uh, definitely go check that out. Very easy to watch. The next one that I watched is also on HBO Max. It was a show that was actually recommended to me by a friend of the show and my oldest friend, Riley Martin. Uh, he's been on the show here. And uh, he's a hard one to please, all right, when it comes to TV shows. I feel like he can be very picky. I think he would say that himself, and I don't see that as a bad thing. He has very high standards when it comes to things like this. And uh, he actually recommended the next two uh, TV shows that I'm going to talk about, the first one being The Righteous Gemstones. It's two seasons, 18 episodes, approximately 30 to 40 minute episodes. They kind of waver in time. It was created by Danny McBride. Uh, the cast is John Goodman, Danny McBride, Adam Devine, uh, Edie Patterson, Cassidy Freeman, uh, Walton Goggins, who's great, uh, among many other people. And it's also streaming on HBO Max. And this is a show that I saw the trailer for. And uh, I, I didn't kind of know what to think of it. Um, and, it and it kind of looked like a, you know, if um, the eyes of Tammy Faye uh, were made by the guys that did Eastbound and Down, which is essentially what this is. Um, and uh, it follows a world-famous televangelist family with a long tradition of deviance, greed, and charitable work. 
Uh, I personally endearingly call it the Sopranos if Tony was a televangelist rather than a mobster, and if it were more focused on his fuck-up kids rather than him. Uh, Of course, I'm being, you know, kind of funny with the Sopranos uh, comparison, but when you watch this, I think you'll kind of get it, though. Um, The three reasons I have for this, and I could name many, this is actually one of my favorite shows I've watched recently, and I've been really trying to get people to watch it. And some, a lot of people have already watched it. Like, people were surprised I'd never seen it. And it's like, dude, I watch movies most of the time. I don't get around to a lot of the TV shows. Um, but I'm so glad I got around to this one. I'll tell you, uh, I, I've, this is the first time I ever got around to seeing this, uh, this young actress here. Um, Edie Patterson plays one of the siblings, Judy Jimstone. And though I've seen movies and shows that she's been in, I never, like, noticed her. In them, you know, I went to IMDb and looked at her, her uh, like filmography or whatever, her list of uh, of credits and stuff, and I'm like, man, I've seen a bunch of this stuff, and I don't remember her at all. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, dude, I didn't notice her until now because Judy and BJ, her uh, partner in the show, played by Tim Baltz, um, Judy and BJ are more akin to something out of like Wet Hot American Summer than they are Eastbound and Down, you know. Uh, they're so weird and awkward, uh, you know, as far as the comedy goes. And, uh, they were just tops for me. The entire show is amusing. Um, but I didn't laugh a lot. Like I was just like amused. I don't know how else to say it. This is like the way that I've been separating it when I talk to people. Cause it's like, I'm not really laughing out loud much at all during this show. It's just consistently amusing to me. Um, but dude, I laughed a lot at Judy and BJ cause they were just my kind of humor. They're just really weird and funny. <coughs> Excuse me. Now the writing is another reason to watch this, both in the characters and the plot. Uh, this is a comedy show, but it has a legit plot that is, you know, taken seriously and presented in a way that can, is actually compelling. Uh, this show was the, uh, equivalent of a page turner. For me, you know, uh, the characters are developed and they evolve uh, in an effective way throughout the show's two seasons. And uh, the comedy is largely tied to those characters. So, you know, the show itself is something that I can actually take very seriously. And I find value in, you know, things outside of the jokes. Um, but the jokes come from the characters specifically. So it's almost like the show is not trying to be funny, but the characters just are right. And that's not exactly accurate, but that's just kind of a differentiation I'm going to make uh, from some of the other shows I'll be talking about. Now, the comedy uh, in this show actually, um, you know, wasn't even much of a selling point for me. Uh, At the very end of episode one, I was hooked and it wasn't the comedy at all. It was actually the plot. And then episode two ended and I was like, oh, damn, this is super good, you know. And uh, again, plot like for a comedy show about televangelists, dude, I, I couldn't ask for more. I mean, this is this is great. The plot is something that just kept me turning this, uh, turning it page to page to page, man. And so uh, the third thing is the Christian satire. As someone who grew up in the church, I've mentioned it many times, you know, and I and uh, my church looked up to people like this, like these televangelists, and in real life, the Benny Hens and the Jesse Duplantis's and and so on. It was. Uh, hysterical to me, some of the details that they just got right. Uh, I mean, they nailed it. Uh, There is a group of one very 
side example. It's not even that important, but it's just one that comes to mind. Is there's a group of muscular men? I think they're called the God Squad, if I remember correctly. And uh, all they they just you know bend metal pipes and rip phone books in half, you know, and break things that are hard to break, you know, like bricks or whatever with their hands. And um, in in the 90s, it's a beautiful parody of this group I'm thinking of, but in the 90s, there was a group called the Power Team. And uh, they, I loved them as a kid because they did exactly what I just described. They'd bend like steel bars and and rip the phone books and, and they'd always have this like music and they'd basically be like, you know, God gives us the power and, you know, all that shit. Um, but, but uh, you know, though this is a little different, just by the way it's depicted, uh, that's exactly what the God Squad reminded me of. And it's funny, too, because they're like Satanists in this, but they're almost like South Park Satanists, you know, <laughs> like they're they're just like weird goth kids, basically. And um, I don't know, but it, it, there's still, even with those silly things, there's like something that rings true to me with my history. Um, and again, though it's different, um, it's funny kind of in the same way that the eyes of Tammy Faye is, cause there are actually times where, um, there are scenes playing out and no one looks like they're playing to the camera and they're trying to be funny. We're like the whole gemstone family are like singing some song to God, you know? And part of what is funny is because no one is making it a joke. It's just funny, right? Uh, so, it, you know, there are so many things I could say about this. Like I said, I can't say this is my favorite show I'm going to talk about, but it's the one I'm kind of most excited to get people to watch because I just want to talk to people about it. Um, the Righteous Gemstones, HBO Max, really, really great stuff. I wish my wife would have watched it. I got I to gotta get her to watch it. So then the other movie, or oh God, I keep calling them movies. I'm used to it. Uh, the other show that Riley told me about uh, to watch, and I actually already knew about this, uh, funny enough, I knew about it from when I watched The Virgin's, uh, the Virgin Spring with, um, uh, who watched that with me? Uh, Matt Sosi. And uh, I was looking up like podcast episodes on The Virgin Spring, and apparently The Virgin Spring is one of Bill Hader's favorite movies. So I was listening to an interview with him, and he was talking about The Virgin Spring, but he was like also drawing comparisons to Barry, his TV show. And uh, that's the show that Riley told me to watch, and it was like I already wanted to watch it, but when he told me, I was like, sure, man, um, I'll watch it sometime. And then when I was sick, it's like, what the hell else am I going to do? So Barry is uh, three seasons, 17 episodes to date. Each season has eight episodes. The third season just started last Sunday, um, and uh, episode one just came out. So 17 episodes to date. Uh, there will be, I think, 24 uh, by the end of this season. I think they got signed up through four seasons, so there's going to be a couple. Uh, but they're 30-minute episodes, really easy watch. This was created by Alec Berg and Bill Hader. Cast is Bill Hader, Sarah Goldberg, Stephen Root, Anthony Kerrigan, and Henry Winkler, as well as, of course, tons of other people um, in the periphery. Uh, this is streaming on HBO Max, and like I said, last Sunday, the third season started. It's about a hitman from the Midwest who moves to Los Angeles and gets caught up in the city's theater arts scene, uh, where he essentially attends... Uh, a an art or a uh, um, uh, an acting class as he's trying to kind of investigate a a target that he has to to uh, whack to kill, um, and uh, Bill Hader ends up in Henry Winkler's acting class and he ends up falling in love with it, and uh, Stephen Root plays his uh, kind of handler so to speak his manager the guy that gets in the jobs, um, Anthony Kerrigan plays a character. Uh, that is a part of the Russian mafia. 
Um, there's there's all I mean there's just all kinds of uh, really really fun stuff here. Um, but it's uh, it all started after uh, Barry came back from the Iraq Afghanistan war. You know, I forget where it might have been Afghanistan where he was. Um, and, uh, he didn't know what to do with his life. So he decided to do what he does best, kill people. And, uh, this is a dark comedy for sure. And that's, uh, that's something I'll get into here in a minute. I want to start with though, the first reason I think you should watch this. The cast is great, especially Bill Hader, Stephen Root and Anthony Kerrigan. Uh, much like Bob Odenkirk doing the action movie, nobody last year. Uh, you would likely never imagine Bill Hader as any kind of like murderous, like kind of tough guy hitman. And he's not really that, but he's a hitman, legit. Um, I mean, the way he handles the gun and everything like feels legit. And uh, that's pretty great. But I'll be damned if he doesn't just nail. I mean, he's won like Emmys and stuff for this. Um, and rightfully so. His facial expressions are really interesting, too, because he has such an expressive face anyways that even when it looks comical, uh, the context of the scene or the episode hits home so much that it's just perfect. And uh, Stephen Root is a guy. This is the stapler guy from Office Space, which I hate calling him that because he is so much more than, uh, have you seen my stapler? You know, like that guy. Like, he is so much more than that, and I hate that that's what people know Stephen Root as. Uh, but he's criminally underrated in terms of how legit good he is. Okay, he's not, and he's not a household name. It pisses me the fuck off. Root is incredible, and uh, though he is a bit of a shyster here, you know, and he, and he's you know kind of funny. Uh, we actually get a really good range um, here uh, over the course of the the first few seasons here that we've uh, that we have uh, before us um, are available to us, I should say. And, uh, but I, I do want to touch on one other person real quick, Anthony Kerrigan. This is a guy that I'd seen before, but did not know his name. And he is by far the funniest dude in the show. Like by far, uh, I find myself laughing out loud watching this guy. Cause I don't really laugh a lot. I'm just amused by these shows. I, again, that differentiation, there aren't a lot of things that just make me laugh a lot, you know, even comedy movies, a lot of my favorite movies, like if I want to laugh, I'll watch Boogie Nights or Pulp Fiction or Fargo because I want like a real story, but then I can also laugh uh, And the Big Lebowski I'd put in there as well, like stuff like that. Um, so watching things like The Hangover doesn't, it just doesn't do it for me. It's just not Pineapple Express, like anything like that. I'm not saying I don't like them. I'm just saying I, that's not really what I turn to if I want to watch something funny. I'm more looking for something amusing, like something that kind of keeps my interest. And uh, that's like what this whole show is. But, but Anthony Kerrigan, though, plays NoHo Hank, and he's one of the Russian gangsters. But his goal is just to be really nice. So, you know, you can already kind of tell what this type of character is, right? Like, he's just like, so how are you? You know, and he's just like very, very, very nice. And he has this like just slight accent that just makes everything a billion times funnier just because of the syntax that he uses and uh, just everything about him. And he is so perfect in this role. Now, uh, the second thing I want to bring up here is this show gets fucking dark, bro. Uh, for as silly as it comes off at first, and it takes a few episodes to get like really dark, I think, but watching this is like watching like a funnier Dexter, you know, but like for the first time, but I mean like the first few seasons, not the like terrible seasons of Dexter after season four, 
you know, it was like, I mean, Barry has its funny moments, but God damn, does it hit home and really dig into this hitman uh, shit at times. Uh, there's a scene where it shows what Barry went through in Afghanistan or Iraq. And it is no wonder this dude is haunted by his past and why he does what he does. It's horrific. Um, and they show you these things and they put Barry in situations where he has to do shit he doesn't want to do, much like Dexter. You know, I really I think there are a lot of similarities. It's just I think Barry is actually for as page turner as Dexter was for those first four seasons. And the fourth season with John Lithgow is great. Uh, but uh there's something about Barry, dude, that I would even say, even just putting it up against those four seasons of Dexter are as good, if not better. Um, I'd have to go back and watch Dexter to make that statement. But anyways, uh, there's some horrific shit in this mo- in this show. And uh, I just think it really tackles Barry as a character. And in that way, it uh, it functions almost like a character study. It's not exactly that, but it's like you're really focusing on this character, much like they do Dexter. Uh, in that series because Dexter's in almost every fucking scene and that's kind of how Barry is and it's glorious and the last thing I'm going to bring up and this I don't know it almost feels like a cheat to say this because I haven't seen enough of it but I'm just going to say season three episode one dude like that's the third reason to watch it Um, if you don't watch it for any other reason because the first two seasons are great don't get me wrong and I'm not saying that season three is better because there's only been one episode but holy shit I was so into season three episode one the entire show is great but it is worth it alone to get to this episode because the storytelling is so good and we're getting evolutions of characters and we're getting more uh you know uh, writing where they write themselves into a corner and they have to figure out how to get out of it and the good thing is Barry doesn't usually take uh cheap ways out of things like they actually have good storytelling they force them to do things um like the writers force themselves into corners where they have to make decisions and some of them are hard and uh man it's uh like I said, the entire show's great, but it is worth it for this. The storytelling is so good. It has like it has developed to a point where I genuinely care about what is happening. Not that I didn't before, but like I was like really invested in this episode. And it was one of the rare times where at the end of that 30-minute episode, because uh, they only released the one episode on Sunday. I was just like, oh man. Like I was like really disappointed. Again, it's not just a comedy, man. This show is much more than that. And uh, the ideas it is tackling are brilliantly realized. And you will see them in season three, episode one. (coughs) You'll see them much earlier in season one. But I'm just saying uh, all of that applies to season three, episode one. So, uh, yeah, those shows up to now, This Flag Means Death, The Righteous Gemstones, Barry, all of those are great. I still strongly recommend all of them. Um, and I'll kind of rank what I think you should tackle first uh, once I'm done here. But uh, the other show I want to talk about, uh, I have two more here. And this one is a show that I watched the first season when it came out in like 2018 or something. And I never got around to the second season. I just never did. Um, but uh, it has two seasons. There are 20 episodes, 30-minute episodes. Uh, and it is a show called Kidding. All right, this is created by Dave Holstein. Uh, the cast is Jim Carrey, Frank Langella, Catherine Keener, Judy Greer, and Justin Kirk. Um, of course, many other people. Uh, 
Uh, it's streaming on, it's a Showtime show. And I watched it because at the time I just got like Showtime through Amazon Prime or whatever. And I just bought a month's worth and I just watched the show because I wanted to see it uh, so badly. But uh, dude, it's on Hulu now. Like I just watched season two. I have like Hulu premium or whatever. And I just like watched that on there like without having to have Showtime. So hopefully you can just watch it on Hulu. I think that's the case. Um, if you're not familiar with Kidding, though, it is uh, a story about Jeff, a famous children's television icon from his show, Mr. Pickle's Puppet Time. Uh, and we see him struggle to retain his sanity as his real-life family falls apart. Uh, Jeff is like a Mr. Rogers type, played by Jim Carrey, uh, running a kid's show dedicated to educating and exploring life with children um, and puppets, of course, big, big puppets like Muppets. Uh, this show is incredible because you think it's just going to be this kind of quirky dramedy, uh, but then it hits uh, so hard that you just can't even hold back the tears. Uh, a wonderful exhibition of skill and storytelling. And the first reason you should watch it is Michel Gondry's style. Uh, director Michel Gondry did the uh, you know Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, The Science of Sleep, Be Kind, Rewind. He did, he did all kinds of stuff. I can't remember off the top of my head what his most recent thing was, and I don't feel like looking it up. But uh, anyways, this dude, if you like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Binder or The Science of Sleep especially, uh, you have to watch this. His style is all over this. Michel Gondry actually directed several episodes, and they kind of patterned the entire show off of his style. So even whenever he's not there... Uh, he's kind of being emulated. So there's stop animation, practical special effects that are done in camera, awkwardly funny humor that is kind of hand in hand with Michel Gondry. Um, you know, uh, Gondry is here in spades, guys. And even the episodes he doesn't direct are set in his style, like I said. So he's emulated very well in his absence. And uh, the Gondry style is key to the effect of the show. 100% perfect. And uh, man... God damn, I can't talk enough about that Michel Gondry style because it kind of feels like a blend of like Michel Gondry style with like the tone of like a Spike Jones movie. You know, like uh, I, for some reason I think of Where the Wild Things Are, but that's not really the movie I like want to talk about. But for some reason, that's what comes to mind. Um, but even something like um, uh, Bing John Malkovich or um, Adaptation or something like that, um, the tone in those is comparable to kidding so if you're a fan of Michelle Gondry style or I'll just kind of chuck in as an extra point a bonus point I guess uh like Spike Jones style uh this is your fucking show I'm telling you the second reason is Jim Carrey because he is a fucking treasure and if you say anything like against that uh you're just wrong because this fucking show is proof uh, he plays Jeff Pickles all right and he just brings him to life I can't quite put my finger on, you know, why he is so great here. Um, his range of emotion is probably a good place to start or like the conviction he puts between uh, behind his character and his dedication to the character. I mean, uh, Carrie should have won like a billion awards here. I'm actually going to look up. See, I'm I'm uh, motivated to look this up because I'm curious if he actually did win any awards. I just realized I'm bitching about it and actually didn't. Uh, look to see if it did, but it did win a couple. It won a Golden Globe for uh, Best Performance by an Actor in Television Series, Musical or Comedy. That's Jim Carrey, of course. Uh, and it also won Best Television Series, Musical or Comedy. I'm very glad that this happened. I actually didn't look at this before making my notes. I feel ashamed. 
Um, but there, you should know that. This show is fucking awesome. Uh, it is, uh, Jim Carrey is one of those guys where he's, he's made some stinkers. Okay. But he's also done some really incredible work. And he's one of those guys that, uh, has more talent than a lot of his movies will show off. And I think kidding is a really great exploration of what Jim Carrey can be. And Jim Carrey is a pivotal, I mean, pivotal, uh, or not pivotal, uh, 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 critical. That's the word I'm looking for. He's a critical part of the show. Uh, Jim Carrey specifically, not just Jeff Pickles, Jim Carrey. And uh, if you like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Jim Carrey is not the same guy in that as he is in that movie, but the emotional resonance and things that come with that movie are in this show. And the third thing I'll say is uh, there's an episode... Season 2, Episode 5, and the episode is titled Episode 3101. All right, so 3101. And uh, all I will say, for fear of, you know, I want to make sure I don't ruin anything, um, and uh, I don't want to lessen the effect of this episode because it's incredible. This episode, this entire episode, is just an episode of Jeff's kids' show, Mr. Pickle's Puppet Time. Okay, that's it. You start the episode, and it's Mr. Pickle's puppet time, and then the end. You're not seeing behind the camera. You're not seeing them film it. This is like what people would watch in the show on TV, okay? And uh, that is all we watch, and it's just a kid's show. But I have never watched anything like this, and I'm not exaggerating. <clears throat> uh, by the end, I was crying. Uh, not from laughter. I mean, the show really fucking hit home. Uh, really human issues and ideas um, are, exec are just executed in such a subversive way that it ends up just being kind of mind-blowing. <clears throat> so I, um, I'm like uh, watching the show and I'm watching this kid's show. And honestly, even at the very beginning, I'm kind of like, man, this is like the whole episode. This is what they're going to do. This is like a bold move. I was never bored. I was kind of always amused. I just expected it to be more. And then, dude, they just like drop a fucking line, like one line or something. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And then it's just like they just tell this incredible story through this like kids TV show. Dude, this is incredible storytelling. This is powerful, powerful uh, content here. Uh, and that's all I'll say about that. You should definitely watch it again. This is kidding. Uh, streaming on Hulu and Showtime. Uh, you should definitely. Ch Dude, that is. God, that's like it's like kidding is one of those shows where I'm like, man, that was a cool show. And then I just like, don't think about it much. And then when I'm watching, I'm like, this is my favorite show of all time. <laughs> and then I like kind of forget about it for a while. You know, it's like that band that you listen to and you don't listen to them enough. Um, so then like uh, you, uh, I don't know, you reacquaint yourself with them at some point after like a year of not listening to them. You're like, fuck, this band is awesome. And you listen to them for like a month straight and then something else gets your attention or you move on to something else. You forget about the band again. And then you come back to you and you're like, fuck, this band's awesome. Uh, that is kidding for me. Uh, it deserves all the recognition. You should definitely give that a shot. And the last TV show I'm going to talk about, and here I am saying that this episode will only be 45 minutes long. And we're already 35 minutes into it, uh, is, uh, vice principles. This is kind of a companion piece to the, the, uh, righteous gemstones, seeing as how it is also created by Danny McBride, but also Jody Hill. And the cast is Danny McBride, Walton Goggins, uh, Georgia King, uh, Edie Patterson, and many, many others. Uh, this is streaming on HBO as well. This has two seasons, 18 episodes and 30 minute long episodes. 
And uh, it's about an overprotective father who is obsessed with becoming a principal and uh, competes against the more popular vice principal uh, to become so. However, something happens that makes them work together to save the day. Season one is a show about two vice principals fighting to be the head honcho, but season two is a whole different beast, and I'll talk about that in a minute. I actually don't have a lot to say about this show. This is just a comedy show, okay? If you're a fan of... Uh, Danny McBride or stuff like Shit's Creek or any of those type of wa- uh, workaholics. I don't know. Maybe that's not an accurate uh, thing. But th- I mean, this doesn't feel like that. Don't get me wrong. This is better than those. But um, I don't know. There's something more like straightforward comedy about this than there is The Righteous Gemstones. I think The Righteous Gemstones is on like a different level personally. Uh, but the uh, this is just interesting. Excuse me. There, if you're a fan of uh, Danny McBride comedies, though, this is definitely uh, down your alley. So the first thing I want to say is, for the first time in my life, I'm going to say one of the highlights and one of the reasons you should watch this is Danny McBride. I've never been a huge McBride fan, uh, but by the end of the show, I really liked his character, Neil Gamby. And it would not be that character without Danny McBride playing him. I have to give credit where credit's due. I've never like really disliked Danny McBride. I don't mean to say that. It's just never been someone that I particularly found especially funny. Uh, but man, uh, in this, it's not that he's funny. It's like even whenever he hits the dramatic moments and stuff, there's something just really effective here. Uh, I love Neil Gamby, but the second point, which normally I would couple these together, but I actually think they warrant their own sections here. Um, is uh, Neil Gamby's great, but this, of course, is largely due to Walton Goggins' character uh, that he plays, which is Lee Russell. And Goggins was hilariously awesome uh, as Uncle Baby Billy Freeman in The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, and he was actually better than he is here in this show. But the reason he gets a point here, other than there are just so many great things to talk about in The Righteous Gemstones, that whenever you break it down to three things, you know, he just got the cut. Uh, but he deserves it here. Because Neil Gamby would not be as great as he is if it weren't for Lee Russell. They really are a pair, okay? Um, so, But I also want them to have their own credits here. Because uh, Walton Goggins, though I actually prefer him in The Righteous Gemstones, and I prefer him in other things. Um, and quite frankly, I don't even particularly love Lee Russell as a character. But it's coupled with Danny McBride's Neil Gamby that this works so well. Um, but I do want to say this, though. The, the third reason I think you should watch this show is uh, the second season, just period. Dude, the first season I was watching, I'm like, hmm, I like this, but how much? Like, I couldn't kind of put my finger on it. And then the last episode hit, and I was like, what the fuck? I mean, it, it like leaves you on a cliffhanger, dude. And I'm like, uh, yes, must watch season two. And then uh, the second season just kept that up. And the show just felt bigger and like there was more going on. Like it wasn't just about being in the fucking high school all the time and one guy trying to one up the other guy, you know, it's almost like the f- this is, again, not accurate, but it's almost like the first season is like watching like uh, Step Brothers or something like there's more going on than that. But it's like really just these two guys trying to one up each other in this high school. And it's just kind of funny and it's a fun show. But the second season is just, again, I don't want to say it's on another level, but it's like, it's just a different beast. And it wouldn't be there if it weren't for season one. 
Um, but what I actually like about these Danny McBride projects is like, I think they're just written to be like two seasons and it's just the perfect amount of time for them to tell the story they want to tell. Uh, as far as I know, there aren't going to be any more of this. I don't see why there would be, uh, this was a fun show and, uh, you should definitely check this out. Um, again, the first season was amusing and fun, but the second season is just awesome. I actually really liked it. So that's vice principles. If I had to tell you what order to watch these, uh, I would actually say watch The Righteous Gemstones first. I'm not saying that I like that the best, but I would love to see uh, people watch that. It's on HBO Max. Then I would watch Barry. Okay, that's on HBO Max as well. Again, season three is out now. So if you finish the first two seasons and you want to wait until season three is finished, I would encourage you to watch Kidding. Now, Kidding is on Hulu. And again, two seasons. It's not going to be that hard to get through. Um, and it gets fucking heavy guys, but it's also like funny and quirky and weird and amusing and all the, all the, all the adjectives I want to use and all the fun phrases, uh, applied to this show. I think this is actually the most impactful and probably the most impressive, uh, in my opinion. However, uh, after that, I would watch vice principles, um, which will kind of give you some nostalgia, I think for the righteous gemstones. And then this flag means death, which is my least favorite of the five. Uh, but this flag means death is still a really, really good time. It's just not kind of a priority. Um, so anyways, again, I just talked for a while about TV. Um, so if you want to, if you're looking for something to binge, I just gave you five titles. I gave you a few reasons why, but now I'm going to give you a few, uh, thoughts uh, my thoughts, to be more specific, on Robert Eggers, The Northman. All right, everybody, I'm here to talk about The Northman from 2022, of course. It came out uh, last Friday, April 22nd, 2022. It's directed by Robert Eggers. Uh, I keep saying Edgers, like it's Edgers, it's Eggers, like egg. Robert Eggers, <laughs> the guy that brought us The Witch and The Lighthouse. Uh, it was written by Sjorn and Robert Eggers. Uh, Sjorn is just that name. It's not Sjorn Eggers. I said that weird. It's Robert Eggers and Sjorn. I should say that. Uh, the cast is Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, uh, Clace Bung, uh, Ethan Hawke, Anya Taylor-Joy, Willem Dafoe, Bjork, and of course others, but those are the most notable of the, uh, of the cast, I'd say. Uh, again, it was released last Friday. It's not streaming anywhere. It's only in theaters. Um, I did have an opportunity to see it. Luckily, I was able to see it, especially since uh, I was sick. So uh, I'm very happy uh, that I had that opportunity. Uh, this is uh, a film about Prince Amleth. I'm going to try to say some of these names, by the way, and some of them I'm just going to skip. Uh, but Prince Amleth uh, is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle who kidnaps the boy's mother. Uh, two decades later, Amleth is now a Viking who's on a mission to save his mother, kill his uncle, and avenge his father. Uh, Robert Eggers is a wild guy. Uh, he's obsessed with being accurate to the time period, you know, whether it's the, the language uh, or, or the dialect that uh, the actors are speaking <coughs> excuse me uh you know whether it's the the sets or the locations um he's just a wild guy and with the witch you know uh he had uh, ralph dennison and kate dickey the parents uh of the uh you know uh the witch i guess <laughs> uh, of anya taylor joy's character um 
but the two parents. And uh, they pull off the old English language so fluently. Um, you know, it's like listening to Ian McKellen recite Shakespeare. You know, it's just like perfect. It just feels like you're just speaking normal. Um, uh, but also the look and the locations and the buildings. I mean, it was a marvel to watch uh, for me. I love The Witch. Then he does The Lighthouse, which is a way more secluded and sparse picture about two men working uh, a lighthouse and living on the premises. And there you see a farting, gross Willem Dafoe as an old seaman who uh, is damn near a fucking pirate, basically, like with the lingo that he speaks. Uh, but it is, uh, it's the shots that captured me, you know, in The Lighthouse. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe create magic and Eggers just captures it all. And, uh, you know, in The Northmen, we get a blend of the two. And uh, we still get the farting and the burping, unfortunately. Uh, but we also get the attention to detail and the meticulous creations that come straight from Eggers' head to the screen. And he is truly a unique visionary these days, I have to say. Now, <clears throat> Eggers was uh, a production designer before he, was, uh, before he put on the director's cap. And it shows in The Northman. We get incredible looking sets that truly feel like, you know, Eggers found these places and just decided to shoot there. You know, uh, of course, the backdrop of shooting on location in Iceland helps tremendously. The film costs 90 million to make, which is, oh my God, it's almost, it's more than 10 times more than it costs to make The Witch. And it's just about. Uh, eight or nine times more than it costs to make The Lighthouse. That's by far the most expensive film Eggers probably ever dreamed he'd make. Uh, but Eggers, you know, he actually uses CG, CGI here uh, with some of the blood in things. And unfortunately, because his sets and locations and performers feel so real, uh, it just stands out like a sore thumb. Uh, easy to overlook, yes. Uh, relatively, yes. Uh, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't notice them every time and, uh, you know, there's a point where a guy gets his nose cut off, for example, blood starts pouring out of his head. And it was just like so obvious that the blood was CG that it just felt off, uh, you know, just kind of wrong for someone like Eggers, who is so good at capturing the effects of things without needing the artificial flair. Um, but that said, you know, there was another moment that uh, was extremely important to the film. Um, but the kind that kind of pulled me out of the movie a little bit, this is nitpicky, I admit, yes, but it happened. Uh, there's a scene where, um, you know, I've started calling it the hallucinatory Viking bar mitzvah, uh, but, uh, you know, a letterbox user said something along those lines, and it just cracked me up, uh, but there is a scene where the king, played by Ethan Hawke, is taking his son, Prince Amleth, uh, to a cave where he will become a man, essentially, and uh, they burp and fart, and they drink some fucked up shit that makes the kid trip, and uh, all of it was fine except for the one burp and the one fart, okay? And it's just like, I, I get that it's supposed to be like this kind of like funny and endearing moment between this father and son, but at the same time, it's like, it reminded me of um, uh, when I watched um, uh, Benedetta, and there's a point where um, the uh, female lead, her uh, kind of uh, lesbian affair counterpart uh, is just like taking a gnarly shit in the bathroom. But the scene is like really serious. And it was like, fuck, are we supposed to laugh at this? This feels super uncomfortable. Um, and this movie is not even close to as bad as that. But I'm just saying like uh, it was really cringy 
to me, honestly, like the burping and farting thing. I think while I was watching, I was just like, Jesus Christ. Um, but, you know, CG and flatulence. There you go. That's all I have to say negative about this movie because this movie fucking rules. All right. Uh, I'm just getting those out of the way. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård plays uh, the grown-up Prince Amleth, and this dude is small as fuck for this role. <laughs> like, he's much bigger than I thought he ever could be. Uh, it's the most abs I've seen probably since 300 came out. But Amleth's father was murdered by his uncle, Fjol, uh, it's Fjolnir the Brotherless, as they call him. And uh, and uh, Amleth's mother was kidnapped, the mother played by um, Nicole Kidman. And uh, Fjolnir kidnapped the mother as well, and they left. And 20 years later, Emleth is thirsty for vengeance still. He, uh, he has developed into a proper Viking who destroys and pillages. You know, he's feared. Uh, but once he's able to pose as a slave to get too close to Fjolnir, uh, it's on. And Skarsgård does a good job here. He certainly looks the part. Nicole Kidman and Ethan Hawke play Emleth's parents, the king and queen, respectively. And... Uh, I think, I don't know, I, I, I like them, uh, but they actually stood out to me a bit. And I don't think this is necessarily like a rip on them. I think it's just what my expectations are for an Eggers film. Because uh, they're both dedicated and they go all out for the role. Uh, but like they will never be as fluent or natural as Ralph Dennison and Kate Dickey, the parents from The Witch. You know what I mean? And it's like, or, or for that matter, even Robert, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. You know, uh, so, uh, and, and both uh, Dennison and Dickey are both in this film, uh, but they have very small roles, unfortunately. And, and when you have a period piece like that is this gnarly, um, I feel like I expect a certain level of fluency with the language and cadence, etc. And, and it's, it's not quite there, um, but at least it's consistent, so it's not distracting at all. It's, you know, it's not anything like overly bad or anything. It's nothing like that. I wouldn't even call it really negative. It's just not quite where I want it to be. Um, and again, I think that's partially because Eggers is usually has such incredible performances. I think that uh, I did like this one was just a little off for me. Anya Taylor-Joy was kind of spoiled for me while watching Peaky Blinders, which, by the way, is another fucking great TV show. Probably the best TV show, one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Uh, but Taylor-Joy was the worst part of that show for me. And uh, she just didn't fit, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, here she fits better for sure. And uh, But there's just still something lacking, and I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm also open to just having a bad taste in my mouth from Peaky Blinders. Um, uh, let me know what you think, actually. I'd, I'd be really curious to think of what you thought of Anya Taylor-Joy here. Uh, but she does a good job, though. I don't mean to to uh, put her down. Uh, I'm going to put her over here. She does a good job. Uh, no better than Kidman or Hawk, I don't think. Um, but I've uh, I've come to expect excellence uh, for these performances in these Eggers movies, like I said. So, you know, these were just uh, not meeting my standards for the film, maybe. Maybe that's all it is. Um, but again, maybe upon a second viewing, too, I'll lighten up. Who knows? And then there's fucking Willem Dafoe, Ingvar Sigurdsson, which is a, a guy that you would never know by name. Probably wouldn't even know him if you saw him in real life uh, outside of the movie. Because like, I thought it was Stellan Skarsgård, to be honest. I had no idea Stellan Skarsgård wasn't in the fucking movie. I was telling my wife he was in it the whole time because I was so convinced the character that Sigurdsson plays, uh, well, I thought it was Skarsgård. Uh, but anyways, uh, Defoe, Sigurdsson, and Bjork. Holy moly, these fucks, these folks are awesome. 
these fucks, these fucks are awesome. Uh, these folks are awesome. Dude, this is the level of fluency, dedication, and performance I expect from Egg Eggers cast. All right. Bjork uh, plays a seeress and uh, like a seer, basically. And she has like no eyes. You don't really see that as much as you sense it and they kind of say it. Um, but you, you can't, uh, like I said, you can't really see it because of lighting. But she has these like dangling medallions or whatever that kind of hang from this like headdress over her eyes. And she is perfect. It's a shame that she was spoiled on movies from Dancer in the Dark because it took us like 22 years to get her back into any kind of prominent role uh, on screen. And I love her so much. She is great. And I love Dancer in the Dark. And she is a big reason for that. Um, <clears throat> all that said, um, uh, back to Eggers. And I'm going to bring in the cinematographer now, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But he was also the guy that did The Witch in the Lighthouse. Uh, Jaren, I believe, is the first name. So I'll call him that. Uh, this movie looks fucking awesome. Uh, the Northman. Uh the way action sequences are shot and the close-ups when shit is getting weird, uh, the dreamlike quality of a lot of the film, I mean, there is just something so special to this movie. It has it, the proverbial it, right? Uh, there's something there. And again, I, I tend to move this more in the camp of Eggers and the cinematographer big time. And But even, you know, just like certain creative ideas that are in the film, like there's a sword in this movie that is tied to darkness, so it can't be unsheathed until nighttime, right? Like, what the fuck? That's awesome. Like, I'm going to use that for, like, D&D &D or something. Like, that's so good. Uh, I love it because there's a point where, like, he can't unsheathe the sword. You know what I mean? Because it's, like, uh, dawn or whatever. Just fucking awesome. Uh, I think it rules. So uh, this this movie has a lot going for it, including the score, by the way, too. I forgot to mention the, the sound design is awesome and the score is awesome. Uh, which it's just like really haunting and repetitious in the best way, like exactly as a score for something like this should be. And the atmosphere is really thick at times. Very well done. Uh, the Northman is basically a movie that even if it doesn't make my top 10 of the year at the end of the year, it will certainly be one of the most unique, uniquely effective films uh, of the year for sure. Uh, from its score to its pacing, the pacing is excellent, by the way, uh, to its performances, to its vision. I mean, there is something to it that feels like more. Okay? <laughs> like there's something there that's just extra. Um, I encourage you to check this movie out. I gave this movie uh, a loose four, and a, uh, four out of five. Maybe upon second viewing it a move up because I really do like it. But I'm going to stick much like I did with the Batman. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Uh, if you agree or disagree, please hit us up. Again, Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. With that said, I will be right back to close us out. All right, that's our show for today, everybody. Uh, I covered several TV shows that I watched recently. Again, I know this is a movie podcast, but quite frankly, dude, I binged hard during my uh, my time battling COVID because uh, I felt like that's all I could freaking do. All I wanted to do was use my eyes. But anyways, I watched This Flag Means Death, The Righteous Gemstones, Barry, Kidding, and Vice Principals. I had already seen the first season of Kidding, but uh, I watched season two. Um, and uh, Vice Principals. And then, of course, like I said, I was lucky enough to be able to see The Northman despite my... Uh, 
despite my uh, illness. So uh, that was really wonderful. Robert Eggers is uh, an awesome dude, and I believe the next movie he's doing is Nosferatu, which he's talked about doing since he made The Witch. And then he talked about being like, man, what kind of like egomaniac would I have to be to try to remake Nosferatu for my second film? So then he like pushed it off and he did a few others, which I think will only benefit the film. Uh, I am looking very much forward to seeing a film that is in the vein of The Witch or The Lighthouse visually and uh, with being able to use new storytelling uh, techniques and and new uh, technology and stuff to pull off uh, Nosferatu. I'm excited about that. But anyways, like I said, I was planning on just skipping this week, but I'm really glad I got to get this out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Sincerely, I love you all. For now, good night, good luck, and take it easy.